Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. All right, hello everybody, welcome to another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitsch. Yes, I'm a composer, and yes, I'm here every week, but each week I'm joined by a guest composer of my own selection, and we'll spend the next hour talking about them with frequent interruption by me. I'm really excited about this week's guest. Uh, please welcome to the show, we have composer Erica Svano. Hello. Hello, how's it going, Jason? <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, it is uh, winter here in Wisconsin, and uh, but otherwise things are fabulous. It is not winter in Texas. We voted not to have winter this year, and uh, Mother Nature is cooperating. So, um, yeah, it's like 70 degrees outside. So uh, happy holidays, everybody. Well, um, Erica, thanks so much for joining us. I'm a huge fan, um, like most of the world. Could you, for people that may not be as familiar with your music, um, uh, before they go and get educated, could you give us like like just thirty or forty five seconds of kind of like what what um, what your professional work looks like? Sure. Uh, so again, my name is Erica Sfano, and I have uh, twenty plus years of experience as a musician, and uh, primarily actually as a band director. Um, and then I started composing um, probably around ten years ago, and I think due to my uh, connections and experience in the concert band world. Um, I sort of started out and sort of um, most of my music is in the uh, concert band area. So um, I also uh, pull a lot from my experience as a music educator, and I really uh, try to make my work accessible for younger players uh, when that's called for, and um, just really have been enjoying writing for around the last 10 years or so. That's wonderful. And um, and I will say also, as, as someone who often has their name massacred and mispronounced, I, 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 I went online this week to find a video of you talking and introducing yourself so that I could make sure that I got it right. Um, <laughs> I should put that on my website. I should put a little like audio blip on there. I, right? I think all composers should do that. We should put little audio blips on. Our, I mean, we put our music on there, but then we don't like pronounce our names cor correctly or have, you know, have a model of that. So um, I'll put that on my to-do list. Yeah. I, I was really highly entertained by the different versions of my name I would get when I was younger. And now I just get annoyed. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I, I went above and beyond to, to make sure that I got yours right today. Well, uh, Erica, that's wonderful. Um, another recovering band director, just like me. Um, tell us then what your kind of origin story is with music. How'd you get into music when you were, when you were younger, when you were growing up? Sure. Um, I grew up in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Um, my parents were incredibly supportive of uh, my music education, and they started um, giving me uh, or uh, providing uh, piano lessons for me uh, from an early age. Um, and then eventually, um, you know, I hit fifth grade and I picked up the clarinet. Um, once I learned that on the clarinet, you can only play one note at a time instead of like multiple notes like you can on the piano. Um, my attitude at that point was like, well, this is easy. Like, you don't you can't even play more than one note at a time. When am I going to learn how to play chords? I guess you can't do that on the clarinet. Um, <laughs> my butt was kicked later, of course. Uh, so uh, clarinet's my main instrument. Um, I started writing a little bit in middle school, just little experimental things and um, doing uh, arrangements in high school. Uh, my band director, Don Deal, um, was really supportive. I think he had me even arrange one of our marching band show tunes one year. So he was incredibly encouraging and supportive of um, uh, like different writing tasks that I had. Um, and then, uh, you know, I went to college at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and um, I decided at that point to focus on uh, being a music educator and band director. And I, I definitely remember thinking, like, should I, should I maybe try to be a composer at that time? Because I really loved writing music. And 
Um, I think at that time, I felt like, you know, the path to financial security as I was entering adulthood <laughs> felt like the path to that was getting, uh, you know, K-12 certification and, and sort of going the music education route. Um, and I don't have any regrets about that at all. I, I really enjoyed my time uh, teaching middle and high school band. Um, after that, I taught at several different universities. I got a lot of different graduate degrees, um, all in conducting. And um, and then I guess it, as far as like I I was a just uh, I was a band director for a long time. And then um, one day I just had this idea of um, it was actually to write the haunted carousel, uh, the piece that you mentioned before. Um, and I I was really excited to to uh, use a iPad as a theremin because all of a sudden um, the theremin became this really accessible instrument that we hadn't used in um, concert band literature to my knowledge. And I thought, wow, somebody should write a piece for iPad theremin and band. And then I thought, well, maybe I should do that. So that's sort of what kickstarted my writing career. That was around 10 years ago now. And um, I have been writing as sort of a um, passion project and side slash side hustle for about 10 years. Um, and recently just made the leap to start composing as my full-time uh, career. So um, that is, that's currently what I'm doing here uh, in, in wintry Wisconsin. <laughs> That's wonderful, and and yeah, we we did talk about the haunted carousel uh, b before before the show started because um, I I was saying that that was that was the first work of Erica's that I heard, and I think I heard it at my at my daughter's band concert, and and, and I thought it was very cool uh, the use of the theremin. Also, that's what caught my ear because um, I've always thought that was such a cool sound to use, and uh, isn't it great that modern technology gives us the opportunity to use some of those sounds that it would be very very hard to get a seventh grader to play a theremin but you know if we get them a um get them an ipad app um now it's now it's cool technology and we can we can use it a lot so uh, it was a really fantastic piece um well i, I want to back up a second to something that you mentioned because a couple of of times on the podcast talking to people um it's it's been brought up that um that arranging is sort of like the gateway drug for composing and it's it's really interesting how many composers uh, started that journey through some kind of uh, um, arranging opportunity that that they had. So, did did you find back when you were in high school and you were already doing some arranging? You know, did you think at that time that you wanted to do some composing? You know, I yeah, it was sort of like half and half, like what I, in high school what I was like playing around with. So I definitely did some composing in in high school, but, um, I definitely enjoyed doing variations of, of different melodies. I think I had uh, a variation like the TV, like, of like TV songs, especially, I think I had a variation of the, the monsters TV song. I did like, I did like a boogie woogie version on the piano and, <laughs> um, and like, I think I maybe did a, a couple pep band arrangements, but then I had some of my, oh, I did probably some jazz band stuff too. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think it's really um, an, an, a nice, easy way to get your foot in the door to like make some art. But if you can um, sort of use somebody else's art as like a way to learn and just experiment with that, um, it's sometimes it's a little bit, there's fewer decisions to make if you're if you're doing an arrangement, um, and then you can still learn a lot from that process. And um, so, yeah, I I definitely did that. I also I did quite a bit. I have a an arrangement of um, four Granger songs that I did during my master's degree. Um, that was a really fun project. I took um, four uh, vocal songs uh, for voice and piano and arranged them for voice. And I think it's like. 12 or 13 wins um, or something like that. And that was a really successful project. And again, it was sort of using somebody else's work and um, and learning from it and sort of learning the craft of orchestration. Um, and But also there's there were a lot of decisions to be made there, like um, which four songs do I pick and what order do they go in? Yeah, and sure. 
there's definitely some choices I would have made different looking back on <laughs> looking back on these decisions I made in my 20s. And I and I think now as a much more mature musician that I really wish I had made different choices, but uh, the finale files are long gone. So <laughs> I think that one's locked away. Uh, the other arrangement I'll mention um, was uh, in my doctoral uh, degree. My my dissertation project was on Aaron Copeland's El Salon, Mexico. Um, and I did a sort of a critical edition and band arrangement of that that was different from the Hinesley, which I also spent a lot of time studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the it was a wonderful project, and I learned again a ton from that project, like delving deep into studying that piece and then reworking it um, a little bit. Uh, you know, sort of uh, the point of that one was to get it as close to the orchestral version as possible, um, because the Hinesley makes some some changes that uh, are. Um, uh, you can definitely you can see why he made those decisions, but my my goal was to get it to line up with the orchestra version as much as possible. Uh, but the real lesson, sorry, that was a tangent. The real <laughs> lesson that I learned from this Copeland project was that the Copeland Foundation, uh, rightly so, is very protective of their copyright, and so I got permission to do this arrangement. Um, I like everything was legal and above board. Uh, but when it comes now to try to like let this out into the public, it's very, very difficult to get an additional performance of this particular arrangement. And that is, um, I knew that going in, but it's still sort of a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I think um, since then, I sort of learned the lesson that you should work with things in the public domain or you should make stuff that you control 100%. And so that's sort of been moving forward with all of my creative work now. Um, that's 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 how I'm choosing to, to spend my time and energy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was not something, at least, you know, when I was when I was growing up, that wasn't something people spent a lot of time talking about was the legal side of a lot of those things, um, doing arrangements, doing transcriptions. Um, you know, they, they did a lot of nuts and bolts work on the, here's how you do it. Here's how you do the orchestration and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the back end of it where, you know, you put all of this work into something, what, what are you going to be able to do with it? What are the copyright holders going to allow you to do with it? And, um, yeah, I have a, I have a love hate relationship with arranging licenses and, and those kinds of things. I spent a lot of years writing marching band arrangements in my life. And yep. Yep. Yeah, Same. Yeah. There are some people <laughs> at Hal Leonard who's I, when I hear their name, I shudder a little bit. I have a Pavlovian response to them because <laughs> um, they were, they were so wonderful to work with, <laughs> but in, in fairness, they were protecting their intellectual, you know, absolutely. I, I, I get it completely. Um, Absolutely. That's definitely something that's that's good advice for young people out there who I, I agree. Arranging is a great way to um, kind of dip your toes in the water. You can make mm-hmm. some artistic decisions without having to come up with a great melody or a great idea or, you know, figure out how to structure, you know, a real formal piece. Um, but also be really aware of, you know, what the what the legal ramifications are um, for doing that. So, um, also to go back to something else you said, this whole podcast is a, is a sidebar. Um, so it's, it's fine when we get distracted. Um, okay, great. Uh, at least I'm, one I'm time, good at tangents. <laughs> at least one time we've had like a 10 minute baseball tangent. Um, so, um, I think that's the record <laughs> for how long we've strayed off task. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're never shy about, <laughs> We're never shy about getting into the weeds um, around here. So you, you mentioned the haunted haunted carousel earlier. So mm-hmm. was that kind of the first? Was that kind of your first real your own original band piece that you really thought, hey, this is kind of something? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's absolutely um, where I kind of started. Um, I think it was I. Um, had just gotten done with classes. Um, I had been teaching at Bemidji State University and 
Um, there's something about when classes get done in early May and I just want to make something, I, whatever it is, whether it's like putting, like fixing my garden or like doing some other, like making something project. And, um, I had this idea and, um, there was a, uh, I had kind of been interested in getting into comp- composition and I had this idea and I, I looked online and I saw, oh, Hey, there's a, there's a competition that's due at the end of May. Um, and I thought, well, that's a deadline I can hit if I like, why don't I make a goal of like getting this thing finished so I can turn it in in time for this competition. Um, and that was the national band association, um, composition. It was, it was for like young bands basically. So like kind of grade two, three, uh, kinds of things that they were looking for submissions. And um, I entered it and weirdly, I actually won that competition, <laughs> which was um, a, a big surprise. Um, I don't know why you and... say weirdly. That's not, uh, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, um, it was a, it was a really nice surprise. And so uh, the piece got picked up by Alfred and um, it's still, I think, is um, fairly popular and gets uh, performed quite a bit. And um, I think it's probably one of my best known pieces. So yeah. yeah, that's definitely the first one that sort of, it sort of kicked my, my composition career, like in kicked me in the butt really quick, like, oh, there's something here. So there was kind of no turning back after, after that. Yeah. And for, for all the young people listening at home, that's exactly how it always happens. You write your first piece, you win a major award yeah. and it goes straight <laughs> to publication. <laughs> That's the that's, that's the most, how it goes. That's the most common pathway <laughs> towards um, towards becoming a, a band composer, especially. Um, <laughs> no, that's 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 really fantastic, and I'm I'm not surprised that it that it won at all. It's a, it's a really great piece, and I I, I hear it pretty regularly because um, it's uh it's just it's really well written and orchestrated. There's a lot of really neat ideas in it, and so. Um, but how, golly, I think about my first piece and it's not even, it's nowhere near that good. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think it has sort of a cool factor. Um, you know, I, I, I am proud of the, the craft that I put into it and like, um, and all that. And I do think it's a good piece, but I do think it has like a, a cool factor with the use of the iPad. Like, I think that's really the like winning idea that puts that piece over the top and um, uh, had it, you know, be selected. So you can't, you can't discount the cool factor. <laughs> I think anytime you put the word haunted in the title, automatically the cool yes. factor goes up. Yes, I get lots of, I have lots of pieces, I have, not lots, I have a few pieces that work really well on spooky October band programs, and that usually <laughs> makes the rounds in October and November yeah. um, is when I see that on programs. Yeah, I, I have a piece called Coffin Races that um, you hear that a lot in October. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a that's a huge deal. Well, that's very cool. Well, um so okay, that was your first. That was your first real um, piece piece that you got published. Do you remember? Uh, had you? Uh, did you get somebody to record it for you? Did somebody premiere it for you? Did you? Did you have a recording when you sent it in? I didn't. Uh, they that particular competition allowed you to use a like a mock up. So mm-hmm. I just had my finale audio mock up for that one. Um, I did have to um, do a couple process like layers in like a uh, garage band or something. Cause I had to play the iPad part separate from oh, sure. the, the, the band realization. Um, but, uh, so that, that worked out. I believe my friend, um, Casey Goodwin at the university of New Hampshire, who I have, um, I have a really great relationship with both Casey Goodwin and Andrew Boyson, um, at the university of New Hampshire. Um, Andy and I taught together, for a few years. And Casey was one of my graduate students and then ended up taking my position when I left UNH. Um, But I sent the piece to them and I'm pretty sure uh, Casey performed it and recorded it pretty soon after. 
Um, like that summer, um, maybe at their summer music clinic um, that they hold there. So uh, they've been huge supporters and, and friends of mine. Um, most of the recordings that you find of my pieces, um, there's like a 60% chance that it's one of the groups at the University of New Hampshire who has um, that has helped me out with that. So they're well, big supporters. It's it's really great to have to have big supporters like that, especially early on when you're trying to trying to get recordings and trying to get performances yeah. and just trying to get your music out there. That's so incredibly helpful um, to have. Yeah. That. And Andrew Boyson, another really fine composer as well. Yeah. And Andy, I'll say, um, you know, I think part of the reason I, I honestly think part of the reason I thought that I could take my conducting degrees, um, you know, I think Andy has studied composition more formally more than I have, but seeing him work and seeing him be such a fantastic conductor and musician, but then also seeing that he like composes uh, really great pieces and uh, like things that are going to speak that speak to my heart, you know, things that I want to conduct. Um, just seeing like, oh, that's like, that's possible to do two things really well. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. It's really, he's really inspired, an inspiring guy. So um, yeah, so I, I, I learned a lot from him. I still consider him to be one of my um, mentors. That's a good, a very good mentor to have. Well, um, beyond the Haunted Carousel, do you remember early on in your writing, do you remember like, um, do you have a, like a first big performance that you thought, you know, now you, you award winner already. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll bypass on the, you know, did you think you were going to make it? But do you remember like the first, like really cool, amazing performance you got to go to where somebody was playing something of yours? Yeah. Um, I actually didn't get to go, but, um, I had written a piece, um, actually, and Andy, Andy premiered this one uh, called Steampunk Scenes, which is actually a chamber piece for, I think it's about 13 wind and percussion um, ballpark. Um, and he, uh, he premiered that and he said, you know, you should do a full band arrangement of this piece. And I said, okay. Um, and so I, I started working on that and I was preparing it for Andy to play um, and then another amazing mentor of mine, Russ Mickelson, um, had become familiar with steampunk scenes. And he said, have you, have, where's your full band arrangement of this? <laughs> and so um, Russ basically premiered um, the, the full band arrangement, which is called Steampunk Suite. Um, and he premiered that, or he didn't premiere it. How did that work? It was at the American Band Bandmasters Association. Um, and so I wasn't able to go, but as far as like high profile um, performances in front of a ton of band directors, that was really huge. So it basically launched that piece um, in front of a really open and excited audience, I think. Um, and so that was probably the other thing that really helped um, kickstart my early, earlier career, um, getting my music out there was that ABA performance. Um, and that that piece uh, still does very well. It's got several, several, many performances a year um, at different, usually uh, colleges and universities, but um, it is accessible to um, strong high school programs as well. Yeah. And it's, and it is very cool. That's a very cool piece. Uh, that's interesting. I did not realize that that started as a, as more of a chamber work. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check that out. Are there, are there recordings out there of the chamber versions floating around yeah. somewhere? Yeah, I have, um, I think, uh, of live performances anyway. Um, there's one yeah. on my website of the, I think of the premiere. So, um, it's, it's definitely a, a live performance, you know, recording. So it, I, we haven't gotten that one in the studio yet, but that would be a future project that would be fun to do. So yeah, you can check it out on my website. Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that one out. The, uh, the original version. Um, okay. Well, um, do you have, um, let me ask you this. This is always a great tough question for people. Do you have like a, a I, I think I already know the answer to this. Um, do you have like a big rejection story or something that you were trying to do or commission you wanted to get or something that you, that didn't work out? Um, you know, I definitely, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I after I won that Alfred prize, I'm like, cool. And so I started writing pieces. Nobody was commissioning me, right? Because I, I was still early. Um, yeah. um, and so nobody was commissioning me. And so I had some different ideas of things and I was messing around. And so then I submitted them to Alfred because I sort of had a foot in the door there. Yeah. And I submitted two or three things and every pretty much everything <laughs> got rejected for a while. Um, uh, and I, I kind of like, I kind of get it. There's, I think there's kind of limited slots that they have available. And sure. I think the publishers are definitely concerned about how something's going to sell. Like they have a lot of particular things that they're looking for that are going to be, um, bad or good fits. And so, yeah, I was definitely disappointed by some of that. And then I sort of discovered the idea of, you know, self-publishing. Well, you know, I've got a website, I can just put it up myself and, um, I'm kind of going all in on self-publishing, which, um, there's some, there's some downsides, but you know, the upside is that I can really control, um, my copyright completely, which, um, I really like, <laughs> So if somebody yeah. wants to get a, a sync license or record it, like I'm the person they they need to come to. And um, you know, I'm so I I kind of like that I'm able to able to do that. So yeah, that is good. That's becoming more and more um more and more important. And uh we've we've talked with several guests about how um you just sort of have to to stay aware of the fact that you have certain priorities, your publisher has a different set of priorities mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, somewhere in the middle of there, there's often a confluence of interests, but not always. <laughs> yeah. I've often thought that some of my, some of the things that I really love that I think are really great. Um, sometimes I have a hard time uh, finding a publisher. I had a piece I wrote a few years ago. Uh, well, it was kind of an arrangement, sort of an arrangement or transcription of the, of the hymn. It, um, it's well with my soul. And, um, and I thought this is the best thing I've ever written in my life. And, uh, and I would play it for people and they would go, Jason, this is the best thing you've ever written in your life. <laughs> and I'd send it to publishers and they go, nah. <laughs> yeah. They just, I mean, they have, they have a business to run and they have, yeah, they have their own set of priorities and that's great. And I guess my priority is to get my music out there. So, yeah. um, I've sort of, I, I don't know that how much I'm going to submit things anymore. Um, I, I think I'm just going to put them up on my website and do my own marketing and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, so far it's, it's going pretty well. There are definitely some, some t challenges I think with, um, the biggest challenge I think is, uh, you know, being a person who writes for school bands is a lot of the, um, accessibility with purchasing yep. by band directors. That's the biggest stumbling block right now is that, you know, I think a lot of schools can only buy music from certain places and that's, yep. you know, understandable. So um, somebody like me comes around and they really want to buy something and it's $50, but then I need to fill out like three pieces of paper to become an official vendor yep. of their school district. And <laughs> So yep, there's, there are there. some, there are some downsides, but, um, overall I'm, 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 we're, I'm working on it. So <laughs> that's, that's really wonderful. Um, you're right. There are some challenges. There are a lot of rules and regulations when you talk about spending, um, school district money. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I have been there. Um, yeah. I had to get fingerprinted one time to do a marching band arrangement. And I thought, I live 500 miles away from your school. Yep. I'm never going to be there. Um, yep. <laughs> I, I, this is a hoop that I'm not sure I really need to jump through. Also, I'm a, I'm a certified teacher in the state that I live in. I am clearly not, you know, a creepy right. weirdo. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely something that you have to, you have to navigate. Well, yeah. um, do you have any, um, do you have any big bucket list projects on your future to-do lists? So I have this dream project and I know that I can finish it. It's just a matter of finding the time. So um, my husband, uh, Eric Evanson, he is a um, illustrator and graphic designer and graphic novelist. And he wrote a graphic novel 
uh, indie, self-published. It's called The Beast of Wolf's Bay. And probably seven or eight years ago, he said, you know, I think this would really make a good musical. Mm. And like, I, so there's a draft that's like three quarters done of this musical (laughs) called The Beast of Wolf's Bay, which is about two academics who basically discover Bigfoot in the woods. And it's the hero's, it's the hero's journey except the journey is like jumping through the hoops of academia. It's like academia as the, as the hero's journey. And Eric wrote it when he had just finished, we had both just finished grad school. He had, uh, he had just gotten an MFA in design and was sort of, we were both starting our college teaching careers. And um, so <laughs> we, it's, uh, it's, it's a really great story that sort of adapts um, the story of Beowulf, actually. So that's the Beast of Wolf's Bay. Um, anyway, I have uh, ha- a dozen songs written for this thing. Some of them probably need to get redone or scrapped, and some of them are are okay. And um, so my passion, sometime I really, my husband and I, we just need to like find the time and finish this musical. And I'm sure we'll lose money. We're going to produce it. We'll lose money. It'll be great. I'm actually really, really ready to lose money on this project. I just would really like to see it exist in the world. (laughs) That sounds like a ton of fun. And I don't care. I'm coming to see it. I'm buying a t-shirt. And yeah, that sounds really fantastic. (laughs) What a fun project. I I have all always in the back of my head thought it'd be great to write a musical. And then, um, I just, I, I just don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think the key, I think the key is most musicals are adaptations anyway. So I, the, Mm. the fact that Eric owns the copyright on this particular property, um, makes it possible for us to, to conceive of this thing and, and do it since we're a husband and wife team. So yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that does make it quite a lot easier. You don't have to get your get your rights from the original mm-hmm. author or whoever. Yeah, that's a good point. Wow. Yeah, well, it sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. Hopefully, there are explosions and people uh, get ripped to shreds. And is big uh, is Bigfoot nice or is, is he like a jerk? <laughs> you know, like you, uh, no spoilers. We we don't know yet. It's in Act Two. Find out yes. in Act Two. <laughs> yep. That actually sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so I, I hope I hope that you do finish that and and that we all get to see it. Well, um, let me ask you this. This is another question I always get really interesting answers uh, for. Um, do you have something that you use, something in your studio or something that you use to work or write that you have purchased that as soon as you got it made your life, you know, much easier, completely different? You know, I'm not much of a equipment junkie and I never have been. So I basically, you know, I bought my clarinet from my clarinet teacher when I was in 10th grade and I've used that clarinet my whole life, right? I maybe upgraded my mouthpiece once or twice, but I I'm not a person that like like looks to purchase like all the, I'm not trying new equipment a lot. Um but I did, I don't know, I set myself up with a pretty basic setup of an iMac and um, I've got a, a weighted mini keyboard. Um, that's been really um, useful, but that seems kind of like basic stuff. The thing that actually I bought that has changed my life is is uh, it's related to my work as a whole, but maybe not my composition so much, but um but yeah, it's still related is I bought a, um, I bought a score binder. Oh. And so, um, whenever, uh, it's like one of, you know, you, you punch the, oh, and it does coil, sorry, not the comb, but the coil binding binding. So you like, you pull down this lever and it punches all the holes and then you insert the coil binding and then it spins it around and then it's like magically bound. Yeah. Um, and you know, because as a conductor, um, first of all, I'm constantly conducting my own scores. And so I've been like slowly making scores as it comes up, like really good quality paper scores that are like, you know, um, bound. And like, I just couldn't go to the Kinko's 
a, like one more time and like talk to the like 17 year old good hearted kid there to sure. say like, okay, listen, here's how you, here's how you bind an 11 by 17 score. Yes. Well, I don't think I can do it. Like half the time they don't have the coils that are long enough or the like binder isn't big enough or they can't figure it out. And I just can't, I just couldn't <laughs> go through that emotional toll again at the local coffee at the copy shop and I I just so I bought this thing and there's it was like 300 bucks and I have zero regrets I just love this thing so much so I have it set up in my in my studio so now whenever I need a I can just buy pdf scores and and just print them myself and it's great I love it that sounds like a very <laughs> worthwhile uh, purchase. Yeah. yeah. I hemmed in hard for too long. I don't know why I'm really, really cheap is the other, is the <laughs> other problem. It's like, it's $300 and I'm like, well, okay. Do I really need it? Yes. I definitely, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely needed this thing. Cause I use it. I use it a couple times a week now. So that's really great. So somewhere out there, someone is Googling the difference between a coil and a comb because they coil. they don't have a point of reference yet, but I just I got coil. you. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Just There's a use difference. coil. You just have use to the coil. Use coil. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The combs are very unsatisfying. Um, <laughs> too noisy. Well, uh, this this has come up a couple of times too. Um, let me ask you this: uh, So you conduct your own pieces a lot. Um, is, is that something you enjoy doing? I do enjoy doing it. Yes. Okay. Um, that's really fun. Um, I think uh, I'm sort of going through this transition now where, um, you know, I was a band director for 20-ish years. And so I was constantly um, conducting, you know, stuff by like tons of people, right? So lots of different pieces because I, I, I would maybe do at most one piece a year with with my own group like yeah. anything more than that felt excessive so yes um agreed <laughs> <laughs> i did like maybe one piece a year if it if it was going to fit the group um and so i was constantly you know uh, learning rep and doing all the stuff by other people and now i'm i don't have a, a group that i'm constant like that i'm conducting all the time and programming several concerts a year for so um, this, the past, this past year has been mostly conducting my own stuff and I have enjoyed it, but, um, I do have a couple of concerts coming up where I get to conduct other, other people as well. And so I'm sort of like appreciating that more and more, um, the opportunity to conduct things by, by other people that I'm excited about, especially, um, other composers that I'm, um, that I'm fans of their music and, and that kind of thing for lots of honor bands and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I am kind of strange. I really like rehearsing my pieces, but I'd much rather just sit and listen at the concert. Yeah. I'd much rather conduct somebody else's music if I'm going to conduct. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I love, I think I love, I really love conducting. I mean, that's like where all my training is. And I think I love the activeness of participating um, in the music making process. Um, mm -hmm. And so I do, I love rehearsal too, but I also, I love being, I love, I love the opportunity to conduct um my own music. Um, my colleague, Andy Boysen, again, just had me out to University of New Hampshire, and he just uh, performed my uh, the first symphony that I've written. It's called Symphony in Blue and Gold. And this was the first opportunity that I had to, that I got to conduct it. So I went out for a couple of rehearsals, and then we did the concert, and it was just really a blast. Of course, the group was incredibly well-prepared, um, so that made it extra enjoyable just sure. you know they 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 really played it well and um we just had a blast <laughs> it was really fun that sounds great well um let me ask you this do you ever experience writer's block do i ever experience writer's block um maybe it, it hasn't been too much of a problem i definitely I try to just sit down and do 
something like today I wrote a thing. Uh, I had sort of a plan and I executed the plan that I had. Um, it didn't turn out. <laughs> it didn't quite turn out <laughs> the way that I thought. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll write a counterpoint to this thing and then I'll take the counterpoint and then I'll reharmonize it. And then that'll be like, you know, you know, you sort of plan out the form and sure, I'm like, yeah. okay, and then I'll re I'll reharmonize and that'll be this other section and then they'll come together and, uh, so, uh, you know, that didn't, it just didn't quite, <laughs> it didn't quite work or I haven't quite figured it out yet. So, um, but I like did the work. So that felt like, you know, as long as I'm like trying something, it, you know, I think it's just coming in and doing it. I do, I don't know if it's writer's block, but I feel like what I would describe it as is like a lack of maybe creative energy but not necessarily a block. I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like, yeah. I feel like, um, you know, my writing schedule uh, this year has actually been pretty intense, which is a great problem to have, but I think I'm figuring out how to space things out so that perhaps I can do like a piece that's a, an original commission and then save myself maybe you know, a few weeks to like recharge my creative energy and do something like an arrangement of one of my previous things. So mm -hmm. if I want to do an orchestra version of something I've, I've done, um, I can do that. And the, so, you know, it doesn't quite take as much out of you, like coming sure. up with a whole new idea from scratch is, um, takes, it takes a lot, that sort of big picture stuff. So, um, yeah. So I, I don't know necessarily that it's a block, but um, I think that maybe the desire to like keep doing like the very, the next thing the next day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's more an issue for me. So I gave myself a few days off and I've just hit it this week with, with the piece I need to complete this month. So I'm back at it. <laughs> that's great. I, I used to say that I projectile vomited music. Cause I would, <laughs> I would not do anything for like a week. And then I would write like for like 10 days straight and just like out, out it would come. <laughs> and when I was done, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done for a while. I'll be back. Yeah. I'll be back later. I would, I would prefer to like, to be on a schedule where I can chip away at something for like yeah. two to three hours a day and then like work on other stuff the rest of the day. Like that's my sort of ideal way of working, but, and then you get close to the deadline and you just have to like do that second or third session of, of two or three hours and just keep going. But in my, in my ideal world, it's like Monday through Friday from nine to 11, Erica writes, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't always work, but I can dream. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Deadlines are highly motivational. I found. <laughs> yes. Well, and also like the thought of like, I'm going to let down this like classroom of seventh grade band kids. Like that's would break my heart. <laughs> oh, sure. So yeah. Just, I think the pressure of not letting those kiddos down and making sure they have enough time to rehearse. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I love that. Well, I kind of sort of know the answer to this next question, but we'll let you answer it anyway. Um, do you have any non-musical hobbies or things that you like to do in your, your the other 22 hours a day when you're not writing, uh, things, things, that, things that you like to do? Yes. Um, I have two, two main things. So my first thing is I love making pizza. I just, it's one of my favorite things. Every Sunday we have um, a group of friends that comes over and we make um, a bunch of pizzas in my kitchen. I will say, I, I you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm not much of an equipment nerd. That mm. is not true for pizza. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> for some reason, I'm willing to shell out a lot of money for like pizza related equipment. So if it's for pizza, then it's fine. If it's for my, you know, my career, my comp, my composing, like I can probably get by with like whatever. <laughs> but if it's pizza, I need this special oven, you know, all these kinds of things. So yeah. Um, but uh, it's like I really um, when I don't get to make pizza on Sunday either because of um, I had a bunch of gigs in November, which was fabulous. But I had basically a month of no pizza, <laughs> and it was. 
I know. And it was, it was really, um, it was hard. I know it was, I need that sort of like my pizza, my Sunday pizza therapy with my, with my husband and my, my friends and, um, and it's great. So, so that's one. And then, uh, the other thing, uh, that I really love, I really enjoy board games, um, is my sort of other, uh, thing that I like to do, although there's never enough time to do it. Um, I actually, uh, I'll put in a quick little plug. If there's anybody listening out here, who's, um, interested not only in composing, but is also interested in games. I'll put in my little plug for, um, a card game that I made called marrying Mr. Darcy, which is basically, um, takes the plot of pride and prejudice by Jane Austen and turns it into um, a card game where you're uh, you play as one of the unmarried uh, ladies in the story, and you're basically trying to catch a husband, like which is basically sort of the theme of all Austen novels, you know, yeah. sort of her comedy of matters and um, and that kind of thing. So, um, but we uh, I love to play Dungeons and Dragons. We just got I just got to play last Sunday. I made a new character. Um, uh, Suzanne summons, who's, uh, uh, a half elf bard and, um, <laughs> and, she, and she's part of a duo called the sweat bandits, the sweat, the sweat bandits with her husband, uh, Richard summons. So Richard and Suzanne summons. Um, and so we sort of have a scheme where we have like exercise stuff and then we try to steal from the rich and give to the poor. It was super fun. So we just started a new <laughs> little campaign that we're playing with friends. So I could talk about D&D for hours. So if that's a tangent, nobody wants that tangent, but I just am saying that I could Good. talk about that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, my my youngest daughter was into Dungeons and Dragons for a while, so I I understood a little bit about what you just said. Sure, because <laughs> um, she yeah she was into it. Uh, well, you know what? When we have you back for season two, uh, we can talk about marrying Mr. Darcy. We could play marrying Mr. Darcy while we have pizza, and then that sounds um, great. And then I'll bring my elf or whatever. I I don't <laughs> I don't know all of the things. Um, I, I like games where you get to blow things up. And, <laughs> you know, uh, if it's a zombie, that's perfect. If it's yeah, not, that's great. I can live with it. But well, I will say, Mary, Mr. Darcy does have an undead expansion. So oh. we're you're totally covered. See, that whole thing sounds like a musical to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> I don't know about the Fantastic. rights, but uh, I I feel like I would go to see that. <laughs> and, yeah, how fun is that? Okay, well, um, we're almost to the end. I usually um, I usually ask people what they're working on right now. You got current projects, things that you're things that you're working on actively, and only only that you could talk about. No spoilers. Sure. Um, I just wrapped a, a project um, last week, which I'm pretty excited about. I think it turned out really good. Um, it's called The Fairest of the Renaissance Fair. Ooh. So it takes uh, Sousa's Fairest of the Fair and basically puts it, the melodies in the context of like uh, Susato, the dancery, oh, sure. or yeah. um, William Byrd's suite, sort of um, borrowing stylistically from those two very successful band transcriptions of Renaissance uh, dance music. So very cool. Um, so I'm pretty excited about pretty excited about that. And um, this next one that I'm working on currently, it's another band piece. It'll be for. I think it's going to turn out to be a grade three or grade four. Um, and it's for uh, Buffalo High School in Buffalo, Minnesota. So um, I don't have a title for that one, but it's going to be, um, I think it's going to turn out very sort of cinematic. Um, and um, I was thinking it could be wintry as well, because I, I don't have anything in my catalog that sort of fits the winter time. I have a lot of I have a springtime piece and I have lots of spooky fall pieces, but I have nothing for the sort of winter and holiday season. So I think it might sort of fit into this wintry aesthetic, um, but we'll see. It's it's in progress. So, so 
the haunted winter carousel. Yes. <laughs> and it's the just cold. the same piece, yeah. but you add a sleigh bell. Sleigh bells. That's all you need is sleigh bells. And boop, yeah, boop, and, boop, and you're good. Boop. Put it, slap a new cover on it, and you're yep. good to go. Good to go. I love that's that. That's how you well, do that, it. Uh, those uh, that both those pieces sound really interesting. Um, well, uh, I always end these conversations with uh, a segment that has come to be known as the the ten frivolous, inconsequential questions. Um, the answers can be uh, silly. They can be uh, they can be whatever. The questions are are very innocuous, and as I have been told. Uh, by my dedicated listener base, sometimes I don't actually ask ten questions. Okay. <laughs> um, but as I but as I have come come to say every week, that's what I have written down in the script is that this is the ten question segment. So however many questions it is, that's the name of the segment, and I'm yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. And the people out there that can count to ten, they're just gonna have to deal with it. Um, <laughs> I was a I was a percussionist, so like if I get to if I get onto my second hand, I'm pretty good. You know, like <laughs> the left is not as strong as the right, you know, obviously. Um, all right. So 10, 10 questions. Um, uh, number one, what's your favorite food? Well, pizza. Pizza. I See, I knew that was coming. If you had said something <laughs> other than pizza, then we were going to have to have a real conversation about why don't, why don't you have, you know, tuna fish then on Sundays when your friends come over. Um, yeah. I knew that it was going to be pizza. So what's yeah. your, what's your favorite? Like, uh, how do you, how do you ornament your pizza? You know, we, we like to change it up, um, every week. So usually we'll have a plan. Um, we have our friend Ian, who is, um, the son of, um, one of the couples that comes over. Um, he, he is, eight years old. And so we have a pizza that is usually just Ian friendly toppings. So we Mm. call it the Ian special. And then often we'll do the Ian special, which is, let's see, that's mushrooms, pineapple, tomato, and black olives. So that's the Ian special. Okay. Um, And then what we'll do is we'll make it a half spicy, which means we put jalapenos on the adult side (laughs) of the pizza. (laughs) So we got half Ian special, half spicy Ian. Um, the, I think the pizza that I will plug, I haven't had this in a while, but I looked up on the internet, like weird pizza toppings. And I think it's in Sweden that they have a, somebody's going to research this and I'm, they're going to be like, no, it's somewhere else. I feel like in Sweden, they have a pizza and it's bananas. So it's red sauce. And then it's bananas, curry powder, um, ham, and like a, if you can put a little smoked like cheese, like a smoked Gouda or something in, in addition to the mozzarella. So I was like, that sounds really weird. And then we tried it and it was delightful. It was really, really good. Yes. It, it was terrible. really delicious. It, it sounds terrible, but if I, I suppose if you're a person who likes pineapple on your pizza, you would probably enjoy this pizza. But if you think that pineapple should not go on a pizza, you should absolutely not put bananas on there. So <laughs> it's it's definitely sort of that like a mellower pineapple sort of fruit. It's it's really good, like a like a savory and sweet. It's 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 a nice combo. You, you slice the banana up or like do you mash yeah. it and spread it around or no nope, it's like red sauce yeah okay red sauce okay. and then yeah just like little discs of banana nice and thin spread them around there curry powder it's great i don't know why i'm asking i'm not gonna try it but you I, should I, I felt like i needed to <laughs> somebody out there is gonna look up this recipe and they're gonna be yes. like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the if i on if this. one person like uh if there's a person so you can find me at ericasfano.com if you make that pizza um, please let me know. That's what they're going to call it when they make it for their friends on Sunday. We're making the Erica. <laughs> I've already got an Erica, large Erica coming. That's what it's going to be. Wow. We awesome. spent a lot of time on food. That's, uh, yeah. that's, that's normally a quick question. Um, what's, uh, do you have a favorite place you like to visit vacation? Something like that. Um, my husband and I always go, I met my husband when I was teaching, um, at the university of New Hampshire. So we, we go back there, um, a couple times a year. Um, his parents have a, um, have a, a house on a lake out in, uh, Western New Hampshire. And it's really just beautiful And this. 
Um, they don't have lakes like this in Wisconsin. All of our lakes are filled with green algae and um, just really unpleasant to swim in. And this lake is crystal clear and it's just really idyllic. So I think that's one of my favorite places to visit. I love that. Do you have a favorite color? Um, Probably like the blue turquoise range. Um, Yeah, we'll say blue. You know, I've gotten that several times, blue turquoise. I wonder if there's something, some creative connection to <laughs> to that color in particular. Um, that's really great. Uh, this is important. Um, this is one of the most, uh, oh, well, no, I'm, I'm going to skip one. I'm not going to skip one. I'm going to go back. Okay. I'm not, not going to let the you didn't ask 10 questions people win. Um, <laughs> if you could tell us, what's the last thing you Googled, if you remember? The last thing I Googled? Mm. was um i am looking for a pair of pants to conduct in i have very specific needs for these pants i need them to be high-waisted i need them to probably be like sort of skinny pants uh, but i need them to look good with like a very formal jacket and it is difficult (laughs) to Mm. find like all the pants that I'm finding are stretchy pants, which is great. And I might go with that. We'll see. But I'm a little worried they'll be too. Ca- Everything I'm finding looks like it's going to be too casual to conduct in. Yeah. Um, so um, I may just um, I, I I commissioned I commissioned my like dream jacket um, over the summer. I, 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 I hired somebody to. Um, I found a pattern that I really liked and I asked this person if they could sort of alter the pattern and they were really into the project. And, um, so I have now my, my dream conducting jacket that has like poofy Victorian shoulders and like, (laughs) has like a really kind of a little bustly back, um, that looks really good from, you know, I got to look good from the, from behind. So it looks, looks really great. Very (laughs) important. Yep. So now I'm now I'm looking for to pants to match this jacket. So I might I might just need to commission the pants too. We'll I was going to say you didn't you didn't commission any pants. You didn't think I, I'm going to need t- pants. I tried. I bought enough fabric, and I I think the person I um uh who asked to make the jacket like we sort of ran out of summer, and and so she went back to work at the school, and so um we'll see. I'm hoping I can still talk her into pants. So All I got right, a so sweet listeners. sweet talk her into pants. <laughs> Listeners, if you've got a if you've got a source for really good conducting pants, um, send them send them Erica's way. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, okay, this this is a really important question. You you got to give this a lot of thought. If we had a boxing match between Frank Tickelli and John Mackey, who do you think wins? Oh man, I just saw Frank Tickelli just a couple of weeks ago. I met him for the first time, um, and he was a total boss. I mean, John Mackey is great, but I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to go Frank to Kelly. I mean, but I, I, he was uh, visiting the university of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, which is, you know, my, first of all, it's my alma mater, but I also happened to live um, 30 minutes down the road. And so I heard Frank to Kelly was coming and I basically (laughs) wrote, wrote the guys and I'm like, um, can I come? Like, can I just come be an Eau Claire student again for, for this week? And they said, yeah, sure. Everything's open. And I just the amount of experience and wisdom that came out of his mouth was just mind blowing. I learned I was only able to spend five hours on campus during the time that he was there, but I learned so much during that five hours. Um, And I also saw him work with the um, with the the top band uh, rehearsing his piece and he's a great conductor, you know, yes. I, he, yeah. he came to, he said he, oh, at lunch, he said, you know, I came to conducting through the back door, which right. is sort of how I feel like I came to composition, but that's how he feels about <laughs> conducting is like people would ask him to conduct his pieces. And so he had to learn how to conduct Sure, and he's really great. And I just saw a whole bunch of pictures from, from that week. And it was just so inspiring and what, you know, what a great experience. So, um, I've met John as well. I think he's amazing, but I have to say just because I just saw Frank to Kelly work, I'm sort of still blown away. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with Frank. All right. Frank wins. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Um, that's great. Oh, now this is good. Cause you, you, you live in the, in the Midwest. Um, 
When you go to sleep at night, socks on or socks off? I have very strong feelings about foot temperature. So okay. let's talk about this. Okay. Um, I usually start with socks on. And then if my feet get too hot, I sort of have this strategy where I'll, I'll take them half off, like okay. sort of over the heel so that if I need to slip them off in the middle of the night, because my feet are too hot, um, then I can, you know, I can do that. So if my feet are the incorrect temperature, I can't sleep. So this is, this is a constant battle that I'm constantly waging. I understand How's that. How's uh, that? No, for that's. <laughs> There, there are no good answers to that question, but that's, that's as good an answer as I've, as I've gotten. Um, all right. If you were not, um, if you were not a composer, not a conductor, not a music person at all, what's another job you think that you could do that, that, uh, that would fit you? Another job I think I could do. Um, I think, I think I would be pretty good it's so funny because I think the answer is related to like all the experiences I have as a composer and conductor, but I, I'd probably be a pretty good event manager. Mm, okay. Um, you know, because a lot of, a lot of what you do as a band director is it's event planning. Ultimately, you know, you're, mm. you're, you know, there's a lot of teaching and rehearsing, but you're sort of planning for this big show you know how to put on a show <laughs> right, and you right, have to right. work with people, all these sorts of things. So I guess I would say, in, you know, and plan ahead, all those, you know, project management, all those sorts of things. Yes. Um, so I'll say event planner, but it feels like a little too close to like the reality of what I do anyway. But yeah, there you go. I, I think anybody that has taught band in their life could run any event in the country. Yes. Uh, it's, no it's question. Really, it's really interesting when like, you know, I, I taught college for so many years. And, and so the uh, administration, of course, is extremely and they should be concerned with um, graduation or commencement or the un end of the year graduation ceremony. And, you know, I think they're not used to putting on a show. Right. For, right. I think for us, we're like, yep just when, when's the gig? Like I'll take you know, this, 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 and like, give me the cue. But I sat in on a lot of meetings that were administrators worried that I didn't know how commencement was going to work <laughs> Sure, because, and they just, you know, they're not, they're not, it's not as good as putting on the, the razzle dazzle as, as those of us in the arts, I think. See, now I, I would have really leaned into that hard. I would have been about like my third or fourth meeting. And I would have, I would have asked a question like, so pomp and circumstance before or after the kids come in, uh, I'm just, I'm not real clear about, about when all of this happens. Like, um, I just don't know. Can, can somebody offer some clarity about that? I'm real confused. Yeah. And then I would just watch their faces go like, just turn white while all the blood <laughs> rushes out. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, the people that that know me, they would hear me say that, and they would just go, "Shut up, man!" Like we <laughs> we we know you know what you're talking about. That's that's really that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had many similar experiences. Well, we already know. My next question, we already know. What's your favorite time of day to write? We already know that's nine to eleven. Yeah, yeah, nine that's to eleven. Great. Yep, that's There's nothing it. on TV nine to eleven anyway. So nope. Yep. I, I start my day. I drink my coffee, have breakfast. Um, I do, I must do the, the times mini crossword and wordle and mm. then sort of get cleaned up and then head to the studio. So that's kind of the ideal. Um, that's when I'm the sharpest. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a night person. I like everybody to go to bed and I like to sit in the darkness and, you know, get creative and I don't know. I've never, I've never been able to, I can work during the day, but it's, I, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable. I, I need a single lamp, you know, like yeah. 10, 10 or 15 feet away from me, not anywhere close. And you know, just like my face bathed in the glow of the, of the, the, the five computer monitors or whatever it is. Um, so it's like, it's noon anyway, but uh, well, I don't know if that was nine questions, but that was nine questions. So um, or 10 questions, but we're stopping anyway. So, um, tell, tell people how they can find you on the socials. Sure. Uh, you can, I'm very Googleable. So, um, my website is ericasvano.com. Um, and I think 
uh, you can find me on Facebook and um, I I do Instagram too, but I'm not so good at that one. So I'm, most of my stuff um, on socials is is uh, through Facebook. Um, and then I also have a YouTube channel as well that you can find um, a lot of my music and um, pretty much everything is linked through my main website. That's awesome. So everybody find Erica out there on the webs. I expect to see pizza photos every Sunday on the Instagram from now on. <laughs> That's what people are interested in anyway. In, anyway. Yes. Yeah. I see the pizza. Um, and uh, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you spending time with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. And so um, uh, there's nobody to applaud, but I will just say everybody, my thanks to my guest, <laughs> Erica Spano, and please find her in all the places. Please find all of her music and please play it. And um, for the right price, she will even come out and conduct it for you. <laughs> awesome. Right. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks a bunch. Closer Chats brought to you by SCM Media. Is your audience dead? Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guest this week. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast, Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, a sci-fi drama. Anywhere that podcasts are streamed, listen free. Seasons one through three are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.